section. So the first section is the genealogy of Matthew. And so we see God's really overarching um, governance of history, how God has controlled history, moved history for good, uh, and we called this providence. Then we saw how Jesus was born and how he was called Emmanuel, mean, meaning God with us. And said, so we said that is very, very good news. He gives us power for mission as he is with us. Then uh, we saw the wise men come looking for the king, and we kind of contrasted Herod with Jesus and what it meant for Herod to live his truth that he was king, and then the truth that Jesus is king. And then uh, a couple days ago at the Christmas Eve service, we saw uh, the next gift. We kind of circled back to what Jesus' name means, and it means God saves, and so we talked about how this fourth gift is the gift of salvation. Now we're on the fifth gift. Uh, the fifth gift has to do with some of, the, some of the lyrics to the songs we just sang. And it is, up from the ashes, hope will arise. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. So let me ask... Um, do you have any, any ashes? So we have ashes. I wasn't going to say this, but I, I just... Our fifth son ended up being stillborn. And um, it was January 20th. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't see burying him and driving away. I just, I just couldn't see how Cheyenne could, I just couldn't see it. And so we had him cremated. And so we have those ashes. Up from the ashes. That's one kind of ashes. Another kind of ashes is the same old sins that we keep coming back to again and again and again, and it just seems so hopeless. Another kind of ashes is just desperately broken relationships where you feel like you can never, ever go back. Nothing will be right ever again. Another kind of ashes are, are just, just plain, desperate hopelessness. Got any ashes? I'd like you to, as we read this text, look for hope. But before we do that, let's pray. Lord, these are your people. This is your word. 
Lord, help us see where it meets us. Do this for your glory and our sake and the world's good. In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are in Matthew chapter 2. Remember, you're looking for hope. Now when they departed, who's, who's the they? The wise men. The wise men have come looking for Jesus. Um, they find him after asking Herod for some advice on where to find him. Maybe they thought he was Herod's kid. It would make sense since Herod was the king of the Jews. They thought that he would give birth maybe to the king of the Jews. It makes sense. But that's not. It wasn't, didn't come from Herod. Uh, he was born in Bethlehem, six miles south. And so they follow the start of Bethlehem. They find Jesus and they worship him. And then God warns them in a dream not to go back to Herod, but to leave a different way. And so they departed. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Okay, so are they coming back from Egypt or are they going to Egypt? They're going to Egypt. That's going to be important in just a minute. Okay, so rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. You don't travel at night in the ancient world. You know why? It's dangerous because you don't have headlights or streetlights. Or any kind of lights that are worth really, you know, it's really tough to travel at night. It's dangerous. There's robbers and that kind of stuff too. But it's also, your horse can break a leg or you can break a leg or you can get lost. I mean, it's, it's tough to travel at night. But he travels at night because it's super urgent and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. So go to Egypt, remain there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Is prophet singular or plural? Singular. That's going to be important later on. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, wait, stop. Which direction are they going? <laughs> I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. Right? They're going to Egypt, and he says, This was to fulfill what the prophet said, that out of Egypt I called my son. Well, why is that? Why are they, why are they running and escaping to Egypt, and that fulfills the prophecy out of Egypt? Well, let's go back. I think we ought to look at it. Hosea chapter 11. So if you are not awesome at flipping, just let me read it to you. If you are awesome at flipping and you won sword drills as a kid, not all of you know what sword drills are, but those of you that know, you're probably pretty good at it. So feel free to flip. Otherwise, I'll read it to you. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, is the passage that he's quoting from. So Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt... I called my son. Well, that's, this, is what we're, this is what's going on. This is the prophecy that this fulfills. The more they were called, the more they went away. And they kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. So what Hosea is saying is God is like saying to, 
Israel that is bent on sin. I saved you. I rescued you. I brought you out of Egypt. I made you my kid. And yet you are stuck on sin. You have these same old sin habits that you come back to again and again and again and again. And you're just stuck. But see... We're still reading about the Exodus in Hosea. The Exodus took place in Exodus. That's because the Exodus is one of God's favorite songs that he plays again and again and again throughout the Bible. This is one of God's favorite themes that he comes back to again and again. And so we read, and I'm just I'm just about to explain to you why they're going down to Egypt and Matthew says that fulfills the prophecy that they're coming out of Egypt. Okay, we're just about to get there. But look at Hosea 11, verse 10. So he's talking about how they're sinful and how they keep going astray. But they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. And they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. What's, what's God saying? He's saying, it's going to be like another exodus. I am sending them into exile, but that's so that I can have another exodus and bring them home from exile. Because the Exodus is a song that God keeps playing. It's a theme he keeps coming back to. It's something he keeps doing. He keeps saving his people. He keeps bringing them home. So what Jesus is doing is he's acting out his people's story. He is going down into Egypt so that he can get his people and bring them home from slavery to sin. Jesus, as Matthew is going to tell the story, is the new Moses who will go down to Egypt and save his people from their sin by bringing them out of slavery. He's the new people of God. He's, he's acting out Israel's story. You're going to see that kind of as we go. So that's why he would say, of course, this is what Jeremiah had, or Hosea had prophesied that the exodus would happen again. And it's happening again in fullness in the person of Jesus. As Jesus acts out his people's story, going down into exile to bring them back out. This is why this is good news. Because he doesn't leave you for dead in Egypt. He doesn't wait for you to find your way out of Egypt. He doesn't wait for you to find your way out of slavery to sin. He goes down to Egypt to get you. He goes down into the muck and the mire and the heinous mess we make and he gets us to bring us out. So Jesus goes down with his family they take him down to Egypt. And then Herod, 
when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. I don't know how many of you were with us from last week, uh, but we met this guy, Herod, and he could be ruthless. Remember how many of his family members he had killed because he thought that they were in act of treason against him. Lots. At least his three eldest sons, his mother-in-law, his uh, favorite wife, his brother-in-law. Like he has family members killed. Like all, so he, he's not afraid of killing people if he thinks that something, if it would benefit him, if it will help him keep his throne. When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. Hey, who does that remind you of? Pharaoh. Herod is the new Pharaoh. Because Jesus is the new Moses. As Jesus leads a new exodus. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what the prophet, or what was spoken by the prophet. Hey, is that singular or plural? Singular. That will be important later on. Then was fulfilled what the what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, who a voice was heard in Ramah. So what Jeremiah is doing is not quoting Jeremiah 40, verse 1, but Ramah appears in Jeremiah 40, verse 1. Those of, them, those of the people that were in that day that were Bible scholars or that read this in the first couple centuries were Bible scholars would know that Ramah was where uh, the Babylonians marshaled the people and brought them into exile to Babylon. So this conjures, so if before, if Jesus went down to Egypt and that reminded them of when they were slaves, him going into, them bringing up Ramah would remind them of the exile. Like this is where they got everybody together they organized them, they chained them, they did whatever they were going to do to them, and then they led them in exile all the way north, all the way around the Arabian Desert, and walked along the Euphrates River, weeping all the way to Babylon. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. So this is now quoting from Jeremiah 31.15. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel was, of course, Jacob's wife, like the archetypal mother, weeping for her children. As she sees her kids being chained, being whipped, being beaten, being subjected, marching to slavery in Babylon, as she sees this happening, she weeps because these kids are no more. And this is, like, filled up and repeated, like history is repeating itself as these moms in Bethlehem weep over their kids that Pharaoh, I mean Herod, kills. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. So when Matthew sees these moms weeping, it reminds him of the exile, when the moms wept, when people like Daniel were shipped off to Babylon. And he says it's all coming true. History is repeating itself. History is being fulfilled. 
But if you look at Jeremiah 31, again, if you're, if you're fast at flipping, flip there with me. If not, don't worry, I'll read it to you. Jeremiah 31 sounds like it should be this intensely sad chapter, doesn't it? These moms seeing their kids, the ones that didn't get killed, seeing the kids marched off to Babylonian exile. It seems like that would be a really sad chapter, doesn't it? You can nod with me if you think that would be a really sad chapter. Yeah, that would be a really sad chapter of the Bible. It's actually not. It's actually where the new covenant is found. Where God says, look, I'm going to fix this by fixing your heart. In fact, I'm going to give you a new heart. In fact, the exile isn't the end of the story. So in Jeremiah 31, 15, we read the passage that Matthew quoted. And then if you keep reading in verse 16, we read, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is reward for your work, declares the Lord. Listen to this. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Exile is not the end of the story. This was true in Jeremiah's day. And that's why Matthew was quoting Jeremiah to say, There is weeping now, but weeping is not the end of the story. There are tears now, but there will be laughter later on. There is going away now, but there will be coming home later. This is, this is, listen to verse 17. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. See, when Jesus leaves Bethlehem in tears and the moms are weeping and refusing to be comforted, it's like he's going down into Egypt or down into exile. And why is that? That's so that his people can come home. He's acting out his people's history as he goes down into Egypt and down into exile so that he can lead them home free from sin and back to a fulfilled relationship with God and each other. He is going down to bring his people back and up. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. That is almost an exact quote of Exodus chapter 4, verse 19, where God tells Moses, the people seeking your life are dead. You need to go back to Egypt and save your people. Jesus is the new Moses leading the new Exodus. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, so last week we saw Herod the Great. He's an old man when Jesus was born. He's about ready to die. He was at his craziest, at his most ruthless. 
And uh, he dies shortly after, like I say, shortly after Jesus was born. Archelaus is one of his surviving sons. He had his three oldest sons killed. Archelaus is one of his surviving sons, and he's put over the green part of that map. So I, I guess you can see that pretty well. The green part of the map um, is the part Archelaus is put over. He's not in charge of it very long. He has all of his dad's ruthlessness, but none of his brilliance. And people go to Rome and say, this guy's a raging idiot, please come and save us, please do something different. And so they put, um, they, rule, they rule this region directly, eventually through Pontius Pilate. Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. And he was, Joseph is afraid to go there because he knows what kind of guy Archelaus is. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So Galilee is up there in the north. Uh, near the Sea of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So that, okay, he goes to Nazareth, so that what might be spoken by the, oh, prophets. Is, is that singular or plural? Plural. Whoa, that's different. So that what might be spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay. Now, Question, where is Nazareth in the Old Testament? Can you think of Nazareth in the Old Testament? I'm really glad it's quiet because Nazareth is not in the Old Testament. Neither is Nazarene. So Nazareth, not in the Old Testament. Nazarene, not in the Old Testament. Now, Nazarite is, but that's a different word. With a diff it's a different word. So, what on earth can this mean? He goes to Nazareth to fulfill all the prophets because none of them said anything about Nazareth or him being a Nazarene. What on earth does that mean? That's really hard. So in John, uh, well, let me, let me take you there. In John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles um, and you want to flip there, you can flip there. We'll just be there for a second. John chapter 1. Let's start in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Here's the thing. What if what Matthew is saying is that the whole trajectory of the prophets. So up to this point, he's been saying singular prophet, singular prophet, this Bible, this chapter and verse, that chapter and verse. What if he's saying the whole trajectory of all the prophets have always said that Messiah would be a nobody from nowhere? This would fulfill 
the whole trajectory of the prophets, and especially places like Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3, which says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So what if he's saying that Jesus moved to Nazareth, this place with failing schools, this place that you would not want to buy a home, this place that you would not want to move to, this backwoods, back in the sticks, terrible place that nobody would want to go, high crime rate. He, he goes there because this is what the prophets always said he would do. He would come out of obscurity. He was despised and rejected. And we never would have seen him coming. Jesus went down into obscurity to make us co-heirs with Christ. So what should we, you know, here's, here's I guess what I'm saying. If I'm, if I'm trying to give you, if I could sum all this up, in one sentence, one short sentence, here's why I would put it. I'd say Jesus came down to lift us up. He came down into Egypt so that we could be freed from the same old sins we keep going back to again and again and again and again. He came down into exile so that we could come home. He came down into obscurity so that we could be co-heirs and brothers, adopted brothers with him. Jesus came down to lift us up. This is what we celebrate at Christmas time. So what should we do? Well, the first thing that I would say we should do is what Jesus said to do. So I, I, I know I've said this before, but I think this is the kind of thing that needs to be said every week. And I don't say it every week, but I wish I did. The thing that I wish I said every week is what Jesus said his preaching was all about. So if you're trying to sum up all of Jesus' preaching in one sentence, it's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the first thing we, we should do is we should repent. We should stop making things worse. We should stop volunteering to go live in slavery to sin in Egypt. The first thing we should do is leave our slavery to sin. Because he came to get us and to save us from our sins. So let's stop volunteering to live in slavery to sin. Leave the same bad old habits. I mean, are they sins of speech? Is it stuff you do? Is it stuff you don't do? Leave that stuff. Because he came to save you from it. What should we do? Because he came down to lift us up. Well, we should repent. The second thing we should do is remember that we can come home. I mean, remember, he went into exile to bring us home. 
This is, this is like the story of the prodigal son. Remember? The guy comes to his dad and says, Dad, I kind of wish I had your inheritance, and since you won't die, will you just give me your inheritance? And so the dad gives him his inheritance, and he goes to the far country, kind of like exile, and he spends it all. And then he's, he's kind of at the end of himself, and he has to go and take care of pigs, a good Jewish boy taking care of pigs. It's not how it's supposed to go, but he's in a far country, living not how he wants to live. And he says, you know, if I go home, it'll be better. And he goes home, and his dad welcomes him home. I think if Matthew was telling this story, you know, he would say, and you know what, Jesus went, the older brother went to get him, that's Jesus, and help him come home. Jesus wants you to come home. Remember, you can come home. Remember, the relationship doesn't have to stay broken. But most of all, most of all, rejoice. He came down to lift us up. Up from the ashes. What kind of ashes do you have? Up from the ashes, hope will arise. He came down to lift us up. This is the fourth gift, or the fifth gift. It is hope. So let's sing, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you came down to lift us up. They are leading a new exodus, that we can go free from sin, that we have resurrection hope, that we can come home to you. Lord, thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.